Hey guys, it's Greg with the Apple Explained podcast for Friday, September 11th. And this week has been very busy when it comes to Apple news. We're going to talk about quite a few things today. The first is the expected September event where Apple's supposed to release a new iPad and Apple Watch. People thought that would happen this past Tuesday. Uh, John Prosser, in particular, doubled down on his claim that Apple would would hold a uh, would actually have a press release on Tuesday announcing the new iPad and Apple Watch model. Now that didn't happen. We're going to talk about that. I also want to talk about the Apple Card. There are some rumors about it uh, having an international expansion being available in other countries rather than just the U.S. A lot of people have been complaining about not being able to get an Apple Card in their country. Then I want to talk about Tim Cook and his age. He's approaching retirement age, and there's actually an article that came out outlining who could take his place, and that'll be a really interesting topic. I also want to talk about Apple's supposed Apple One subscription bundle that's supposed to be released soon, and I also want to talk about some things about um, Samsung's foldable phones and ARM processors on the Mac. So let's start with This event Apple was supposed to have on Tuesday, a press release, whatever, where they were going to announce a new iPad Air and Apple Watch. That didn't happen. John Prosser, who has been a leaker in the community for about 12 to 18 months, was at odds with Mark Gurman, who's also an Apple leaker. He's been around for quite a while, and he has an established reputation, more so than Prosser. And... Prosser ended up being wrong, and Mark Gurman was right. And what actually happened on Tuesday is Apple released an announcement. It wasn't a press release, because press releases are articles posted on Apple's newsroom website. That's what's considered a press release. Apple did not uh, release one of those. What they did is they just issued an, an announcement that they will be holding a virtual Apple event, similar to what happened with WWDC, on September 15th. Now that is when we're expected to see a new iPad Air and a new Apple Watch. Now what exactly are are these products gonna be? Well then iPad Air, uh, excuse the noise in the background, uh, the iPad Air is supposed to get a huge refresh. Uh, The leaks so far appear to be legitimate and I'm really, really excited for this release. Because up to this point, the only iPad model that featured a thin bezel with rounded corners was the iPad Pro. That happened in 2018, and I love that design. But the the new iPad Air could be getting that same design with the thin bezels, rounded corners, the swipe interface, no home button. And the question was, what would Apple do with security. Right now, when you unlock your phone on the iPad Pro, it has Face ID. But Face ID is a really expensive component to include in a product, and the iPad Air is not a high-priced iPad model. So what they supposedly are going to do is integrate Touch ID into the power button of the new iPad Air. 
And that's a really interesting decision if that happens. I honestly never thought Apple would bring Touch ID back from the dead because even though they are still using it on the iPhone with the iPhone SE, I know it's still integrated into the home button. And I figured if Apple is removing the home button, then Touch ID is going away with it. But supposedly they've come up with a technology where they can integrate that Touch ID sensor into the power button. And that just completely changes everything. Because before, when when a product lost the home button, it, it automatically switched to Face ID. That happened with the iPhone 10, it lost the home button, got Face ID. Happened with the iPad Pro, lost the home button, got Face ID. So it appeared that Touch ID was on the way out. But with this new technology of a, of a power button Touch ID sensor, it raises the question of will it come back on all iPhones? The iPhone 11 has a power button. The iPhone 12 will have a power button. So does that mean Touch ID will be coming back to everything? And, and this is really important to consider, especially in today's environment where the the virus situation is making Face ID extremely inconvenient, something that was never a problem before because everybody is wearing face coverings. And that prevents Face ID from recognizing your face properly. And then you have to put in your passcode every single time. A lot of people don't like that. So what Apple could be doing is not only introducing this power button, touch ID technology to the new iPad, which would be really incredible, but they could also include it as an alternative form of biometric security with the iPhone 12. Now, there hasn't been any leaks suggesting that might happen, but I think it makes sense, especially when everyone's wearing masks. What about the Apple Watch? Well, what's interesting with this is, yes, they're supposed to be coming out with an Apple Watch Series 6, and it's supposed to have a blood oxygen tracking. It's supposed to have a new faster processor. And there were a couple other things about that Apple Watch. Let me think, let me see if there's anything. Um, there is rumors about Touch ID being built into the uh, digital crown. I'm not sure if that's gonna happen. But basically, this Series 6 upgrade, it's not, a, it's not supposed to be a huge upgrade. But what's more important about this is that Apple could be creating a sort of budget model Apple Watch. Sort of like an Apple Watch SE. It probably won't have that name. They may go with the name Apple Watch for the budget version and then Apple Watch Pro for the higher end models. But what Apple's been doing up to this point with the Apple Watch line is that they would come up with uh, they would come out with a new model. For example, when the Series uh, Four came out, they continued selling the Series Three, but for a reduced price. And they did that again when the Series Five came out. They discontinued the Series Four, but sold the Series Three for a discounted price. And it's interesting because they did that with the iPhone. They used to, you know, when the uh, iPhone 4 came out, they continued selling the iPhone 3G for a lower price, etc., etc. Now that changed when they started making dedicated budget models of iPhone. <clears throat> for example, when the iPhone 11 came out, 
They created the iPhone SE. That's sort of the budget model. And they could be doing something similar with the Apple Watch. And that budget model is supposed to have sort of the Series 4 technology and design and capabilities at a lower price rather than them continuing to sell the Series 3, which I think is a good move because today the Series 3 Apple Watch is is old technology. I don't really recommend it to anybody just because the Apple Watch technology today has come so far with the Series 4 and Series 5. And then Series 6 is going to be the third generation ahead of the Series 3. So it's really important not to buy that older model, in my opinion, if you're looking for longevity when it comes to that product. Now, what's interesting is Apple did issue an official release of this event on the 15th. It's called Time Flies. And people looked into the tags used on their YouTube video that they have prepared. It has a timer counting down to when the event will stream. And in those tags, people found not only iPad Air, but always, but uh, also Series 6. So we're almost certainly going to see a new Series 6 Apple Watch. All right, now I want to move on and talk about the Apple Card. This is something I get asked about a lot, especially in live streams. If you don't know, I have a different YouTube channel called Apple Explained. That's my main channel. I have live streams every Saturday at noon Eastern time. That'll happen tomorrow. And I've gotten the question, when will Apple Watch be available in my country? Whether it's UK, whether it's India, whether it's France, when will the Apple Watch be available abroad? And the my honest answer is no one knows. Um, it's probably going to take a while for that to happen because there's so much more uh, red tape to go through and getting approval and getting partnerships with, with banks in different countries. It's much more difficult to do a service than a hardware product. But just Friday, just today, a rumor came out that says... Apple looks to be expanding the Apple Card internationally. Um, there was a source that is unnamed. They're associated with an Australian banking corporation. And they said the Apple Card will be launching in multiple new regions as soon as the end of this year. So maybe Australia, maybe UK, maybe Europe. And this is going to be great news for people who have wanted the Apple Watch so badly, but haven't been able to get it. Now... Do I recommend the Apple Watch for everyone? No, of course not. Um, this is honestly my first official credit card. I do have the a Apple Card. I do enjoy it. I do like the features. I really appreciate the payment plans on Apple products, the 3% cash back on Apple purchases. Of course, I'm personally buying Apple products on a regular basis. <laughs> so I appreciate a little bit of a discount. Um, but people who do want it, Hopefully, it's coming to your country, if you're not in the U.S., by the end of this year. So you'll have something to look forward to. At least it doesn't seem like, you know, you'll be waiting forever for this to happen. Apple is working on it. Now, this is a really, really big subject. And I know I talked about Tim Cook in last week's video, or last week's podcast, I believe. But this week, I want to talk about something else because last time I talked about Tim Cook and how he's performed as a CEO compared to Steve Jobs, you know, whether people think Apple would have been a better company or a different company if Tim Cook hadn't had taken over and Steve Jobs was still the CEO today. 
And if you want to hear my opinions on that, I'm not going to repeat them in this podcast, but you can watch one of the older ones where I do talk about it. What I want to discuss today are these rumors that Apple is is planning successors to the current leadership at the company. And Mark Gurman, the leaker I previously mentioned, said that Apple has laid out a plan for replacing the company's senior leadership roles in the coming years, and that they're devoting attention to developing a new generation of leaders who will eventually take over those roles. And of course, Tim Cook is at the top of that list. He's 59 years old. He'll probably retire in the next you know, five to seven years. Now, nobody knows if he's actually going to leave the company before he dies or whether he's going to retire and leave the company or whether he's going to leave the company before, you know, traditional retirement age. No one really knows. Uh, We all expected Steve Jobs to serve at Apple as CEO until he couldn't possibly do it any longer. That's when he, you know, left the company, gave the CEO role to Tim Cook and then passed away shortly after because Basically, the only thing that was going to take him away from Apple was his death, which is sad. And no one knows if that's going to happen to Tim Cook or if he will voluntarily leave the company sooner. But the inevitable is that he will be leaving the company at some point. Someone else will have to take over as CEO of Apple. So the question is, who would that be? And I also got this question quite a few times during live streams. And every time I get this question... I always said Jeff Williams will likely replace Tim Cook. And the reason why I looked to him is because Jeff Williams is the company's current chief operating officer. And when Steve Jobs was CEO, Tim Cook was Apple's chief operating officer. And the role of CEO is really, really operations-based. You are managing your people, you're managing logistics, you're managing marketing, you're managing everything, and you're not really working on product development. You have people doing that for you. You're checking in with them. You can voice your opinions, but you're not really in charge of that. You are really a manager. And the chief operating officer position, I think, aligns best with those responsibilities as CEO. So it made sense that Tim Cook had the position after Steve Jobs. It made sense that it would make sense if Jeff Williams replaced Tim Cook. Also, Jeff Williams is younger. Let me look up his age. I don't know exactly. I know he's quite a bit younger than Tim Cook. Okay, he's not quite a bit younger. (laughs) I thought he was quite a bit younger. Um, he's 57, so he's only two years younger than Tim Cook. Um, so maybe they're planning on someone else replacing him. Uh, but this goes down the list. Uh, they have plans for replacing other leaders other than just a CEO. For example, um, Keon Drantz who's the newly appointed vice president of iPhone marketing, could take over from Greg Joswiak, who's Apple's current marketing chief executive. And Greg just took over from Phil Schiller in August. Because remember, Phil just announced he's 
kind of retiring. He's taking a different position. It's a much less involved position where he doesn't have as much day-to-day responsibilities in the company. And he's sort of on his way to retiring. So it's also interesting to note that Craig Federighi is the youngest member of Apple's executive team, and he is likely to stay in his role for quite a few more years. But there are two people lined up to fill his role once he leaves, including Sebastian Marinu-Mess, who's a vice president of intelligent systems experience, and John Andrews, who was named vice president to lead CoreOS in 2019. <clears throat> and apparently he's seen as the most likely to be promoted once it's necessary. So maybe he's most likely to replace Craig Federighi. I really don't want to think about Craig leaving. I love I love him being part of the Apple team just because when Steve Jobs left, we kind of lost the the charisma of Apple presentations. Not to say that they're bad in any way. I love Apple presentations even without Steve Jobs. And in, in, in many ways, they've improved uh, since Steve Jobs. But the charisma of the delivery, um, what it left with Steve Jobs and the only like shred we have is with Craig Federighi. I mean, he is a natural, he is just a natural performer. It seems when he's on stage, he's funny, he's appealing, he's nice to listen to, and he's very charismatic. Um, and of course I think he does great work, but I'm sure there are people who will replace him that will continue to do great work, uh, we'll just be losing that entertainment factor, <laughs> which is so fun to watch when he's presenting something. All right, so that is what I wanted to talk about with Tim Cook and and who may replace him and other leaders. Next, I want to talk about Apple's subscription bundle. And this has been a rumor that's been ongoing since the services event in March of last year or was that this year that may have been this year let me look that up yes that was March 2019 last year and there were rumors leading up to that March event last year that Apple would be releasing a, a video streaming service, which turned out to be Apple TV Plus, Apple TV Plus. That they would be releasing a uh, gaming service, which turned out to be Apple Arcade, etc., etc. But something else that was included in those rumors was that they would be combining all of their services into one package deal. Because other companies do that. Amazon, for example, does that. But when that March services event happened last year, they did not announce a bundled deal. And honestly, I was I was surprised by that because it makes sense to offer something like that, especially if someone wants to subscribe to everything. Because if you're going to subscribe to Apple News Plus, Apple TV Plus, Apple Music, Apple Arcade, it adds up. And offering just a bundle deal, I think, is appealing for many people. And it gets people to use services that maybe they wouldn't have used otherwise. For example, if you're going to subscribe to everything except Apple News Plus, maybe it's still more affordable to get the bundle deal 
and you're getting Apple News Plus even if you didn't really want it to begin with, and then maybe they start using it, maybe you have more readers on that platform, and it is beneficial for not only Apple, but the publishers on Apple News Plus to get eyes on their articles. Now, there has officially been a leak rumor that there are signs of an Apple One bundle found in the 3.4.0 beta of Apple Music for Android, which is interesting, and that Apple Music will be one of those services that are bundled. Because some people were saying, well, they might have a bundle of everything except Apple Music, but apparently it's going to include Apple Music, which I think is, it raises the, the value proposition of a bundled service if you include something as popular as Apple Music because that is Apple's most popular service. Um, there's no other information about it, but the rumor suggested that if Apple does in fact release this, what people are calling the Apple One service bundle, that it would be released this October, likely alongside the new iPhone 12. Also, there, there may be different tiers of this Apple One bundle. A basic package is expected to offer Apple Music and Apple TV Plus, while a second tier will also include Apple Arcade, and a third tier will include everything plus Apple News Plus. Um, and supposedly there's gonna be a high higher end tier that includes everything and iCloud Storage, which is interesting because iCloud Storage is part of Apple's services business, and I think if you're using iCloud Storage, you're paying a lot for it, it could be appealing if you get a discount plus other services added onto that. All right, so those are the rumors about Apple One, and I think a lot of people are looking forward to that release, and I think we'll be surprised that it was coming so soon since there really hasn't been any rumors about it this year. Next, I wanna talk about foldable smartphones. Uh, there was a, an article this week that said Apple ordered a large number, quote-unquote, of Samsung foldable mobile phone display samples. Now, Samsung is one of their display suppliers for the iPhone, and the fact that Apple ordered a bunch of foldable phone display samples suggests they're either looking into creating a foldable phone themselves they're exploring the technology, they're exploring the potential of a foldable iPhone. Now, rumors of a foldable iPhone have been going around since the original Samsung Galaxy Fold was announced a couple years ago. And so far it has not happened. And there really haven't even been leaks. There have been rumors like, oh, but maybe it makes sense for Apple to create a foldable display. They may be looking into it. There have been a few patents, you know, kind of suggesting that they're interested. But patents, Apple patents random technology all the time that 99% of which never see the light of day. So patents really don't suggest anything. But the fact that they ordered these samples is kind of interesting. It, it shows that they are exploring definitely some potential hardware that would include a foldable display. Um, I have some thoughts though. <laughs> and I want to organize them properly so that 
I can really articulate what I'm feeling. When it comes to foldable phones, we have seen several. I mean, the Samsung Galaxy Fold, they're already onto the Samsung Galaxy Fold 2. Motorola made one. Uh, Huawei made one. And I don't know why. And if, 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 you, if you know what, like if you have a foldable phone and you love it and you, you, you feel like there are so many benefits of it over a traditional slate design smartphone, please send me an email at info at appleexplain.com. Send me an email and tell me what you love about your foldable smartphone that you can't do or you can't get on the traditional phone. And if all you're gonna say is, I like that it folds open and I have a bigger display, I don't know if that's enough of a reason to, to get one. Even, even Samsung admitted in their recent event where they introduced the Samsung Galaxy Fold 2, they admitted they, they said 50% of customers. Now, that number may be higher. I don't know if they said 50% just to make it sound better. But they said 50% of the time customers were using their Galaxy Fold, they were using the front display, not the larger inside display. And keep in mind, the front display is 4.5 inches on the original Samsung Galaxy Fold. It's it's a flat display. It's not foldable. The only foldable display on that is the is the display on the inside where you have to open it up to see it. They said half the time customers were using their foldable phone, they weren't even using the foldable display. Now, that is saying something in my opinion. That's a really shocking statistic which suggests it's not a killer feature. You know? A killer feature is not something you use half the time. It's something you use the vast majority of the time, 80% of the time, 90% of the time. So it suggests that maybe a foldable phone could be a nice uh, benefit in some situations, but most of the time is not offering a functional improvement in your smartphone experience. Because keep in mind, and I've, I've said this since the beginning when I saw these foldable, foldable phones, smartphones are used most of the time for quick light interactions. You're sending out a text, you're checking notifications, you're making a phone call, you're Googling something really fast, you're creating a reminder, you're creating a, ca a calendar event, you're checking the weather, things that you're trying to do quickly easily, seamlessly. And the question is, why would you spend the time opening your phone, getting this quick information or doing a quick task on a larger display when a larger display isn't going to make that task any quicker or easier? So speaking from a functional, like when you're actually using your phone, what are the benefits of a foldable display? The only thing I can imagine is that it would be nice to have when you're watching YouTube videos or Netflix or a movie because you have that larger display. I understand that. The, the, the thing is, smartphones aren't really what people use most of the time to watch movies, to watch Netflix. 
I'm not saying people don't do it. I'm saying most of the time, that's not what they're doing with their smartphone. And the, the value proposition of a foldable smartphone today, I think, is very poor. The Samsung Galaxy Fold is $2,000. You're paying at least double for a smartphone that kind of makes it better to do a couple things that you do once in a while. And keep in mind the compromises. Affordable phone is twice as thick. It's twice as heavy. I'm not even sure what the battery life is looking like. And I don't know if that's, if it makes sense. I really don't know if it makes sense. I think the Microsoft approach is better. Um, their, what was it called? Surface Duo and the Surface Neo products appear to be a step in the right direction. I think it's more, it's more reasonable just from the perspective of function, functionality. And I think the reason why Apple is holding off on creating a foldable smartphone is because they're not seeing the user experience benefit. First of all, who wants a crease in the middle of their display? You're going to not only see it when it comes to glare, you're going to feel it when you're touching the display. There's durability issues. And I just don't, <laughs> really don't see it. I feel like there was something else I wanted to mention also when it came to foldable displays. Um, yeah, I just think in its current, I, I don't know if, if, if foldable smartphones are going to be like the 3D television of the smartphone world where, you know, 3D TVs came out. It was all the rage. Everyone was talking about 3D TVs. Everyone was selling them. Lots of people were buying them. But very few people actually used that feature. Very few people wanted to put on glasses when they're watching their TV at home. And you had to buy 3D compatible content to work with your 3D TV. And for most people, it just wasn't functional. It wasn't a functional benefit to their experience when watching television. And today, we barely see any 3D TVs at all. It was like a gimmick. It was a fad. It didn't add anything to the user experience. And so people were no longer interested in them. Something tells me that at least the current iteration of smartphones folding smartphones might go the same way as the 3D TV. I think it could just be a gimmicky feature that only makes a couple things better when interacting with your smartphone, but comes at way too much of a high price, way too much of a compromise on other things that people expect to have when, when, when they have a smartphone. I mean, people don't want a thick, heavy smartphone that they're carrying around all day. And they don't want to pay $2,000 for that experience. Uh, the fact that it's cheaper to buy a premium smartphone and a premium tablet that are separate than a two-in-one, um, it's, it's going to be really hard to convince customers to buy into that idea. Anyway, that's my, that's my thoughts on foldable phones. I could be wrong. And keep in mind that 
technology is always changing. And foldable display technology could change so much that suddenly it, be, it suddenly it makes sense. Suddenly those those compromises aren't as severe. Suddenly the price does go down dramatically, and the functional the functional benefits begin to make sense for the customer. Just that that's uh, that happened for example with smartwatches when. Samsung released the pretty much first mass manufactured, I mean, you could argue, argue the Pebble was the first real smartwatch, but as for major companies, Samsung was the first to create a smartwatch. In 2013, the Galaxy Gear. And even though they were first to market, which is something Samsung loves to do, they love to be first to market, the product itself was very poor. It was very poor. The experience was bad. It was thick. It was heavy. They tried to integrate some, I think, some battery or some technology into the strap. So it was very rigid. It was uncomfortable. It didn't fit well. It didn't work well. And it didn't offer any significant functional benefits to the user. That's why Best Buy said, I know I mention this all the time, but it's such an important thing to remember. That Galaxy Gear smartwatch, the first generation model in 2013, had a 30% return rate at Best Buy. That's that's the, the, the best example of a failed product. I mean, people didn't like it. Now, does that mean that smartwatches were a gimmick and that they were never going to be possible? That, that, that it would never be possible to create a successful smartwatch? Of course not. Um, two years later, Apple came out with the Apple Watch. They allowed time for the technology to mature, to develop, to, to offer a functional benefit to the user experience where people could actually say, okay, it's worth having this on my wrist. It's giving me an incredible experience, some great benefits, some convenience that otherwise I wouldn't have. And I like this product. But in order to do that, you have to let the technology mature. And I think that may be the case for foldable display technology, but honestly, I, I can't tell. It may be a gimmick, and then eventually the whole fad stops, the whole fad ends, or maybe the, the technology develops enough to that Apple does create a foldable iPhone, and we see the benefits, unlike today when we really can't see them. All right. What are the rest of the topics I want to talk about today? Oh, here we go. This is the last thing I'm going to talk about. Today is going to be a shorter podcast. The ARM chip is coming to Max. And there has been a leak this week that said for Apple's first Apple Silicon Macintosh, uh, it will likely be the MacBook. A 12-inch MacBook that'll be released this fall. And rumors are saying it's going to have the A14X processor, which is supposed to be used on the next generation iPad. And I honestly would be surprised if that's the case. Because Apple mentioned, I'm pretty sure they said that they would be creating their like a new series of chips for their Macs. 
they didn't really suggest that their Macs would be borrowing the, borrowing the same chip from the iPad. And considering that Macs are a completely different product, running a completely different operating system, I assumed they would be creating a new line of custom chips for the Macintosh, but that may not be the case. Um, it appears that Apple will um, be starting production on these new processors in the fourth quarter of this year, which is at the end of this year. And they're doing it in preparation of the new MacBook and iPad Pro, which suggests they'll both be using the same chipset. Now, the, the, the benefits of ARM in the Mac, I've mentioned before, but I think it's worth repeating because this could be a new form factor for the MacBook. Super lightweight, super thin, with a battery life between 15 to 20 hours. That's essentially double the battery life we get today with the MacBook. And that would be even longer, almost twice as long as the iPad's legendary 10 hour battery life, which everybody loves. So just imagine a MacBook that's lighter, perhaps thinner, maybe not that much thinner, but it's lighter and its battery lasts twice as long and it's faster. And it may not even require any fans because the chipset runs so cool. So it's virtually silent. But not only that, it gets even better because this new MacBook could be selling for up to $200 less than the cheapest MacBook Air today. Today, the MacBook Air starts at $1,000. This new 12-inch MacBook could start at $800. I mean, that's, that's just... If you've been following Apple for a long time, like, you know, 15, 20 years, and you remember back in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, MacBooks started at $1,200. And, you know, MacBook Pros were $2,000 or $1,800. I mean, th these were expensive machines. And I never thought I'd see a day when there would be a MacBook selling for $800, as much as an iPad, basically. I mean, iPad Pro is $800. MacBook is $800. That is going to disrupt the computer market. I really believe that. If, if all these rumors are true, and if what Apple is doing, what they appear to be doing with these new chips, lowering the price, giving their computers these incredible new designs, which is also supposed to be coming to the iMac, increasing performance, increasing battery life, and on top of all that, lowering the cost, as I said before, I mean, that is the perfect recipe to defeat PCs. I mean, I really don't understand why someone would choose PCs over the Mac unless you're just wanting to get the Windows operating system but with the popularity of the iPhone, with the popularity of the iPad, when people see these new ARM computers with the new operating system that aligns even closer to iPadOS and iOS, which is important for users coming from those devices and makes it look more familiar, feel more familiar, easier to understand, easier to operate. 
I think we could be seeing a new era for the Mac. A new era of popularity. I think the Mac could be selling more than ever before, gain more market share than ever before. And we could see a new era for the Mac in terms of gaming. I mean, gaming on the iPad, gaming on iOS is a staple of the experience. I mean, Apple Arcade. It's becoming a huge component of Apple's products. And a big reason why that's possible is because the graphics performance of their custom silicon on the iPad, on the iPhone, on even on the Apple TV, is incredible. They're able to squeeze some incredible performance out of these processors without compromising on heat issues, on thickness, on battery life, things that you, you see with gaming computers that have high graphics performance. Now, will, will we see graphics performance on the level of dedicated gaming computers? Probably not at the beginning, but if you look at how, how quickly Apple has been catching up with, with graphics performance on their custom silicon, how quickly it's been improving, it is astonishing. And to not think that one day it could be on the same level as gaming, gaming computers is just not looking far enough ahead into the future. Already it's come so far. And it's only been what... They, I mean, Apple's first A4 processor came out with the, with the original iPhone, which was in 2010. It's only been 10 years, okay? I mean, 10 years in the tech industry is like nothing. Um, and it's already come so far. Just, 10, just in another 10 years, maybe we're seeing the Mac on top when it comes to gaming. I mean, <laughs> that is wishful thinking and it may sound ridiculous today, but when the original iPhone came out in 2007, who would have thought it would have been such a big gaming device today? I mean, who thought of who who, who could have thought that you could port these console quality games to a smartphone, to the iPhone? It is really shocking. And of course, Apple's going to take that to a whole nother level with the Mac. So I'm really, really excited to see what Apple's developing. Um, again, I would be surprised if they use the iPad Pro chipset on the MacBook. Uh, maybe it makes sense on the MacBook because they're trying to give it that really super thin form factor like the iPad. Uh, maybe that makes sense. Maybe they're, they're trying to optimize for battery life and, and those sorts of things. And maybe they're going to make a custom Mac chipset for maybe the MacBook Pro or the desktop Macs like the iMac and the Mac Pro because they do have that larger form factor and they're not relying on low power consumption, for example, the iMac and the Mac Pro, because they don't have a battery. They're not mobile devices. And the MacBook kind of is a mobile device if you think about it. Um, so maybe that does make sense. Anyway, that's everything I wanted to talk about today. Um, I know we came up short of an hour. It's 43 minutes today instead of an hour. But that's everything I wanted to talk about. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I'll check in with you next week and update you on the latest Apple headlines next Friday.